Matthew chapter 13, reading at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are, all, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Amen. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it's food to us. Thank you that it's seed that grows within us as we accept it in our hearts. And we pray tonight that you would be at work, that the Lord Jesus, by his spirit, would be addressing each one of us. And please give me the the strength and clarity I need and the voice I need to um, share Matthew with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually want to start not particularly talking about myself, but talking about um, two other people. So let me show you this guy, um, who hopefully will appear. This is Vincent, um, Vincent Thurquet, um, who I first came across because he's written the book on log fires. If you're interested in log fires, get his book. It's fascinating. (laughs) gave me the tip that um, toilet roll, the inside of toilet rolls are the best way to, to start a fire. Build around that, air goes up, it's brilliant. Anyway, <laughs> turns out he's also the guy who has found the biggest gold nugget in Britain. It's him. Uh, I, I wanted to show you the picture with that, but it was copyright, so it's not up there. Um, imagine a gold nugget slightly bigger than a large free-range egg. That's how big the gold nugget he found was. Mixed with quartz, it wasn't all gold, but it was big. Um, he found it on a beach 
um, off, just off um, the Welsh coast. Uh, and, you know, he didn't tell anyone for four years, so he could search the rest of the beach. <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, it turned out to be worth 50 grand, that. He just found it in the sand, 50 grand. Um, but actually, there's another guy um, who, to whom 50 grand would now be small fry. This guy's called Derek, Derek McLennan. There he is. Um, and he's holding in his hands, this is a picture of the treasure, in his hands um, is some Viking treasure. He found it um, in uh, Dumfries and Galloway around there in a field. Um, and so important were the artifacts he found, so rare, so precious, they've been valued at £1.98 million. Pounds. And apparently in Scotland, if you find treasure, you get the finder's fee. It's not like split with anyone. So he's going to get £1.98 million. Pounds. It's almost enough to make you want to buy a metal detector and kind of <laughs> wander around the soggy fields of Scotland just in case. Um, I mean, just imagine when he went home, the conversation, oh, hi, dear, how did you get on today? Are there any more kind of vintage Coke cans that I'm going to have to take to the dump? And he has to explain, actually, I've found it. I've, I've hit gold, literal gold. I've actually hit a gold cross. That was one of the things in, in his collection. Um, I found treasure. Treasure is our topic tonight, and we'll leave those guys for a moment, and you can click onto a blank screen so we're not distracted by their faces. Um, Treasure is our topic. I wonder if you picked that up as Matthew 13 um, was being read. It's there in three of our four parables. So verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, we're on page 819. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. And then verse 51, the final mini parable. Jesus says, have you understood all these things? Then 52, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Treasure, that's the topic tonight. And we're coming to the end of this um, training session through Matthew 13 that Jesus gives his disciples. Um, And actually, I don't know how you found it, if you've been here through the weeks, it's it's quite a sobering chapter. Um, It's triggered by loads of rejection from Jesus, chapters 11 and 12, loads of rejection of Jesus, sorry. It's triggered by that. And one of the messages that comes across as you go through the parables is that wasn't a one-off, what just happened there. Remember the parable of the sower, there are mixed responses to Jesus, and there will actually be um, bad reactions to Jesus' teaching. Uh, Pretty sobering stuff. And you will have noticed at the end of our reading tonight, more rejection. Jesus rejected even in his hometown. So there's quite a lot of sobering stuff in here, but the final note of Jesus' collection of parables, is treasure. Three out of four of the last stories, treasure. So if, by the end of tonight, we're not a bit clearer on why the Christian gospel is treasure, why we have treasure in our hands, I won't have done my job. But actually, these parables, they don't just tell us that we are holding treasure They tell us what to do with the treasure we hold. That's what the last one's going to be about. What do you do with it? 
do you do a Vincent? We won't put them up, but do you do a Vincent and just kind of not tell anyone because it's good for you and kind of four years to enjoy it yourself, don't tell anyone? Or do you do a Derek? Derek, um, the, the guy who got the two million pounds, um, did tell people, uh, and uh, the treasure got put on display in the National Museum of Scotland. Um, sadly, I only discovered this just after the exhibition closed. It closed two weeks ago. Um, but you can still see pictures on the website. He put it on display so all could see. And one of the questions we'll end up with is, are we going to be those who just hold it to ourselves, or are we going to be those who put it on display? But before we get to what we do with it, let's spend some time listening to Jesus on what a treasure the Christian gospel is, how Jesus' kingdom is treasure. That's our first point. There's an outline on the service sheet on the back if you want to see it. Um, Point one... How much is finding Jesus' kingdom worth? How much is it worth to find Jesus and his kingdom? And the simple answer is everything. It's worth everything. I guess you can see that's a common thread through the first two parables. Both of them, something is found that's of such incomparable worth that they go and sell everything to get their hands on this. I don't know if you are the kind of person who takes risks to invest in things. I guess for some of us that will be our job, weighing up, kind of, is this opportunity so good that I'm willing to actually um, take some risks? It can be a, a tricky challenge, but sometimes there's the occasional case where it really is a no-brainer, where you see something that's so good, you think, I should back this. I should, I should get everything I have onto this. Um, I recently watched the film The Founder. You may not have seen it. It's about McDonald's. You may not have wanted to see it. Um, uh, Anyway, there's this guy who comes across the original McDonald's restaurant run by the McDonald brothers, and he sees what happens there, and he just thinks, this is amazing. This could go global. And so he uh, remortgages his house. He takes out loans. He risks everything, everything he has, literally. He puts on the line because that is worth it. And then he franchises it, sells it all, the, all over the world, rips off the brothers, and makes millions and millions and millions of pounds. And that's the end of the story. Not a very happy story, actually. Um, but, but both the people in this, these parables are like that. They see something that is so worth it, so precious, that they're willing to put everything they have behind it. That's the thing they have in common. Notice there's a slight difference between them. The the first one, verse 44, is a guy who just seems to stumble across the treasure in the fields. Um, doesn't seem to have a metal detector. I think he's just out for a walk and comes across it, just wandered by, yet recognizes this is treasure and sells everything. Parable 2 is a merchant who's been searching for pearls all his life. He's an expert. He's got a keen eye. And he spots this one and says, that's it. I'm selling everything for that. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom, is like this. It's treasure. And it's great. Whether you've walked into church the first time tonight, maybe you live near the faith mission and you just happen to wander by. Or you could be a a PhD in philosophy and a PhD in theology. You've been searching the cream of human thought all your life, looking for the pearl of great price, looking for something that actually makes sense of the entire world. You could be either. You could be an expert. You could have just wandered in. 
Jesus says, what I'm offering is treasure. Treasure. It's worth everything. But why? Why is it so good? What is it that's so good about it? I wonder if you, you think about that. I wonder if you think of Christianity as treasure when you go into work um, tomorrow or to school or um, dropping off kids at the nursery or whatever it is, do you think I am carrying treasure with me, the Christian message? Treasure. Is that, is that your kind of category for, for what we have in Jesus? I think sometimes in the early days or the early years, we do feel a bit like that. We have the kind of joy of that man in the field. <laughs> you, should, you should see what I've found. This is amazing. And then you start to take it a bit more for granted over the years and the enthusiasm dies down a little bit. You realize that actually there are hard things as well. There are weeds and there are thorns and there's persecution, the sun beating down. Easy, I think, for Christians to start to forget what we have in our hands in the Lord Jesus. When I told you about Derek, who's now two million pounds richer, I wonder if you thought to yourself, but is he a Christian? That's the question. Because Jesus says it's worth giving up two million pounds and your house and everything you have just to get a chance at the treasure he offers. It's worth more than a Viking hall. These nights in Matthew have been a treasure show. I guess if you're not yet a Christian, one of the reasons you you might be... um, not yet willing to, to commit yourself is, is because you don't yet know what it's worth. It's great you're here. I hope this will help convince you tonight. I hope future weeks will help convince you. Jesus thinks it's worth everything. He thinks there's nothing, nothing, nothing more precious than this in all of creation. Imagine you, um, a friend, uh, maybe a colleague or a neighbor, in a moment of kind of honesty or frustration, said to you, why do you think Christianity is worth all your time? Maybe, maybe they've invited you to something and you say, I'm sorry, I'm at church that night or I'm at prayer meeting that night or something. And they say, why do you give so much of your life to this? Why do you, why do you give money to, to spread the gospel? Why do you spend your nights out at church? Why, why, do, you, why do you commit yourself so much to Christianity? Kind of, what, why is it worth so much? What would you answer? How would you, if you had that opportunity to explain why the Christian life, why the Christian kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is worth so much, what would you go for as your explanation? I'd actually love to know your answers, so do tell me. We, we won't do a kind of call and response, um, uh, but I would actually love to know. So tell me, tell me what you'd currently go for. Um, I think there's all sorts of good things we could say. We could say Jesus gives me a real sense of purpose. We could say um, I've never felt peace like I have now. I know now I know Jesus personally. We could say that all of us have a God-shaped hole and we're, we're looking to fill it. And I guess those would be common things people would reach for. Um, I think Matthew is giving us a whole set of other things to say. He's been doing that through the gospel, actually. We've already had lots of evidence of why Jesus is the greatest treasure, why Jesus' kingdom is so worth it. And we're about to have another one in in the third parable. Just in terms of the gospel so far, think about some of the things we've seen. Um, In fact, we'll flick back. Flick back to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 3. 
I reckon we must have read these verses about seven times now in this series, which shows they're important. Hopefully they'll stick in your mind. You won't get them read another Sunday evening, so this is the last time. Um, chapter 11, verse 3, when John the Baptist says, um, uh, sends word to Jesus saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. That's a summary of what's been going on in Matthew so far. It's a summary of the kind of things Jesus is doing to show how good his kingdom is. The first sermon of this series, I stood up and said that the Old Testament had made some amazing promises. Um, And these are some of the promises that were made. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, um, the lame will jump, and there'll be a reversal of death. And when you think about that, that is the most extraordinary treasure. How much is it worth to have perfect health? I mean, huge amounts of Edinburgh wealth go into health plans, which is maintenance at best, and actually an investment that will deteriorate. It just does. But Jesus says, I can actually fix you. I can fix your body. How much is it worth to have an answer to death? Jesus says, watch, I can bring someone back to life. How much is it worth to be able to stand in front of a holy God and be safe, to be all right, to be pure, to be be righteous, clean, Jesus offers that in his kingdom. Now, of course, when Jesus was on earth, he was giving a foretaste of his eternal kingdom. Remember that? It was a temporary exhibition, an amazing exhibition, but a temporary exhibition. It's a foretaste of eternity. Um, He emptied the hospitals in Capernaum for a while. He raised people for the dead, showing he can. But but now isn't the time where he's... he's, um, where he's dividing humanity into a perfect kingdom. We saw that with the parable of the weeds. At the moment, life is mixed. But Jesus showed that his kingdom is going to be that perfect world, that world we all want. And when you stop and think about it, that is worth more than anything else. All the things we might pay for are nothing compared to that. Not least because you die and someone else gets them. Or you pay and pay and pay and pay and you still die. None of us can roll back health. One of the um, artifacts that Derek found, that Viking treasure um, hall, was actually a golden cross. Um, I think I've got a picture of it uh, should come up. It's covered in mud. If you want a clean version, you can look on the, the um, National Scotland Museum. Um, it's, a, it's a golden cross, and it has pictures of the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, on it, uh, on the four points. Um, why did someone back then, where presumably gold was a pretty precious thing, why did someone pay all that gold and get it poured into that shape? Because that person realized the actual cross is so precious that anything else they have 
They wanted to remind her that there is a kingdom, there's a king who gave his life to not just fix our bodies, though that's true, but to fix our relationship with, with a righteous God. It's the most extraordinary thing. It, it is treasure. In a few chapters in Matthew, um, Jesus says this, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay each person according to what he's done. Whether you've been looking for how to get right with God all your life, the merchant, or you've just wandered in, the guy in the field, Jesus is offering treasure. But we might not yet be convinced that that's actually necessary. We might not be convinced that's, that's a kind of urgent need. And so Jesus tells us another parable, the parable of the net. Let me just read through the parable of the net. And I want you to think, why is he telling this just after two parables on treasure. Think about the link. Let me read it uh, Yeah, again. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out, and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of our four parables tonight, that one clearly stands out, doesn't it? It's not explicitly about treasure. But Jesus begins again. Notice that? It's there in 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. And then 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a net. There's some kind of link. He's still on the same topic. And he's then back to treasure in verse 52. So what's the link? Well, here's the thing. The incomparable worth of finding Jesus' kingdom is most clearly seen on the final day of human history. The incomparable worth of finding Jesus and his kingdom is seen on Judgment Day. There are answers we can give about how Jesus changes life and gives life purpose here and now, but the biggest answer, the clearest answer for why it's incomparable treasure that we have is Judgment Day. There's going to be a great divide, a terrifying divide. On the Cord Weekend, we've just been looking at 2 Peter 3. It's a chapter that says there'll be people who scoff at the idea that God's going to judge the world, that there's a judgment day. It's been 2,000 years. How could you possibly think that is still going to happen? And Peter says, look, I was there with Jesus, and there is no doubt he's coming back. Jesus says there will be a day when humanity is divided, like fish in a net. It's terrifying. I mean, the language is stark, isn't it? Verse 49, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you remember that John the Baptist expected this to happen straight away? That was one of the reasons why he was so puzzled in prison and asking the question, Jesus, are you the one? I thought you were supposed to come and and kind of sort out evil, get rid of it. He said earlier in chapter 3, the one coming after me, Jesus, he has his winnowing fork in his hand. He'll clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That was one of John's sermons. John said there's going to be this divide. There's going to be this divide. Of course he did, because the Old Testament said that. God's king is going to get rid of evil. And some people think Jesus turned up and said, oh, no, 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 no. That's just Old Testament stuff. That's, no, that, that kind of picture of God is, is just angry and, and um, unloving. And thankfully, I'm here to say everything's okay. There's not going to be a great divide. Um, that, that, that's just putting the fear of God into people. Sometimes that's what people think Jesus taught. I hope you can see in Matthew 13, in black and white, That's not what Jesus taught at all. Jesus taught that's exactly what's going to happen. The only thing Jesus added was it's not going to happen now. John thought it was now. Now's the moment. Jesus said, no, I'm I'm coming once to offer a chance of forgiveness. I'll come again to divide humanity, to judge the world. Of course, we don't like that. I don't like preaching on that. It's a terrifying thought. We're tempted to redesign God to fit in with what we'd prefer. That's idolatry. And we're all tempted to do it, even preachers. But as we saw with Andy Robertson in 2 Peter, the delay is because God is kind and patient. The fact Jesus warns about this is because he's kind and patient. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Another way we redesign this sometimes is say, well, maybe Christians go to a perfect new creation and, and it's just kind of game over for, for non-believers and there's just nothing for them. Jesus says, the angels will come out and separate the evil for the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about conscious agony. We might say, but, but surely this is metaphorical language. Like, is there going to literally be some kind of furnace? Like, are you saying, are you, are you, surely not. It's not an oven. Surely. Like, that's, that's a ridiculous idea. To which I think we should say, well, yeah, furnace is a metaphor. Because in Revelation, it's a lake of fire. Here it's a fiery furnace. John the Baptist called it unquenchable fire. But can you hear what is constant? A lake of fire, a fiery furnace, unquenchable fire. Jesus says that because he loves us. He loves this world. He loves people. So he warns them.
In Matthew 5, Jesus says, better to lose an eye or a limb than end up there. Against that background, you see why Jesus' kingdom is treasure, why Jesus' offer is treasure. Did you spot what makes the difference in this great divide? Verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. It's a just separation. It's the moment when God gets rid of everything that's evil. And Matthew's been saying that actually we are the wrong side of that line naturally. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? One of our small groups is in it at the moment. Sermon on the Mount. um, To be righteous, you have to be perfect like God is perfect. That's the bar for God's righteousness. None of us are there. And yet Jesus says, Blessed are you if you thirst for righteousness, if you want it, because you'll be satisfied. Jesus says, you can pray, forgive us our sins, Father, because Jesus is offering a way to become righteous. Jesus offers forgiveness. The reason why they made that into a cross is because that's how you get forgiveness. Jesus taking the punishment for us. Jesus facing the fire, the fury for us. And as Christians, we know that, which means we know the most precious thing there is to know on the planet. We've got the most precious treasure there is. It's not just the secret to eternal youth or the secret to a a stable family life or the secret to, to making sure you're okay financially or whatever else you might be interested to hear about. This is the thing that will make you safe on that final day. That's real treasure. It's treasure worth everything. Sheila Lyon, our dear sister, was holding on to this treasure. And so she was perfectly safe. We should begin to draw to a close. Let me speak briefly to to those here who've not trusted Jesus yet. And then Jesus has something for all of us who are disciples um, to hear. If you've not trusted Jesus, you need to. I mean, you should want to. It's the best treasure in the world, but actually you need to. That's the parable of the net. Jesus isn't bluffing. But for those of us who are trusting Jesus, and actually I think Matthew 13 is, is probably even more for us than for, for people not yet trusting Jesus. Um, for us, Jesus wants to um, give us verses 51 and 52 to know how to respond. First off, 51 is just a little check. Have you understood everything I've been saying? Verse 51. Um, disciples say yes. They're confident they've got it. But um, I've put in the box the things that we should have understood so far through Matthew 13. And you can go away and reflect on this. I won't go through it in detail. But Jesus has taught a number of parables which together equip us. You need them all. Um, So the sower, 
says that Jesus' kingdom grows through his word, but you've got to expect a mixed response. The weeds shows us that Jesus' kingdom currently is mixed in in this world. So Christians and non-believers all mixed, but there will be a separation for eternity. The mustard seed says that God's kingdom is tiny now, but will become the greatest kingdom. Leaven says that it grows in an unseen, hidden way now, but it's nevertheless unstoppably spreading. And then today we've seen that it's so precious it's worth giving everything for because there'll be a great divide. That is Jesus' training seminar on what we need to know about his kingdom. And he says, do you understand all of those things? If you do, well, verse 52, he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Remember, Matthew is moving to the point, the whole gospel is moving to the point where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples. And this is the training seminar we need. It prepares us for the rejection we'll face. It's got that realism. It prepares us with a healthy sense of optimism. There is good soil out there. There will be growth. So many of the parables are about growth. Gives us realism, gives us optimism. It gives us clarity. The way the kingdom grows is Jesus' word. As James was um, pointing out to us, often people talk about kingdom spread without talking about the king. It's nonsense. Jesus says, my kingdom grows as the seed is sown and the seed is the word. So realism, optimism, clarity, and then finally tonight, urgency. Urgency. We've got treasure in our hands. It's treasure that people need. Urgency. And if we've got those things, we're actually trained scribes. We're experts. You know enough. You know Jesus is king. You know that not everyone's going to like that, but some people are going to turn and trust him, and that it's urgent because there will be a great divide. You know enough to share Jesus, to speak about Jesus. The new and the old, if you're curious about verse 52, is I think the Old Testament promises and the New Testament fulfillment, what Matthew's been saying all the way along. We're rapidly careering towards Christmas. You may have noticed that. Um, We've actually already, someone's paid for a big tree outside the church. Tremendous. Um, uh, All sorts of kind of practical things are being being, done. Prepared, there's, there's flyering and, and caroling and uh, planning of services. There are lots of options to bring people to. But of course, the one thing we're really doing at Christmas is sharing treasure. We're putting treasure on display. Everything else, all the kind of tingle, uh, the paraphernalia, is to give people a chance to stop long enough to notice we've got real treasure, not just tinsel and glitz, but real eternal treasure in the gospel. That's what we're doing at Christmas, and obviously it doesn't stop at Christmas. That's why we're having an outreach week in March, and actually it's why every Sunday we hope that people will be invited along to church to get to here, Um, and the rest of the week while we hope that we take the treasure out. It's not easy. Of course it's not. That's why we need training. Jesus himself faced rejection from his own town. It's not easy, but it is worth it. A great divide is coming. 
And Jesus has provided a way for people that we know not to be the wrong side of it. Let me pray that we'd have the courage and the love to share. Father in heaven, we so need your help. We need your help to grasp afresh the treasure of the gospel, to to remember and appreciate what an amazing thing it is that you would offer free forgiveness and a perfect world, things we don't deserve. We pray you'd help us to love that. We pray we'd have some of the joy of the man who found treasure in a field. Father, we need your help to maintain that clarity, the clarity of the Lord Jesus who knew there would be a great divide, a great day of reckoning, a great day of justice. Please help us not to weaken our grip on that, not to join the world in scoffing that. Please help us to have a deep conviction that it's real. And Father, most of all, please give us a deep courage and compassion and joy that does drive us out to share your treasure with Edinburgh and with our street and our colleagues and with the nations. Please help us to follow the command of the Lord Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them what he's commanded us. We can't do this on our own. We're so aware of our weakness, our inadequacy, but we pray you would use us, just as you used the first people who heard this training session to create a church and spread it around the world. We pray you'd use our little church to do the same. In Jesus' name.